let's repeat until we get it right. That's what repeat is all about, at least in a nutshell. Putting this into practice is not that simple though. Repeating and making the same mistakes over and over again is not what you want, is it? I spent the last 20 years building and growing websites, apps, chatbots and physical businesses. Repeat is my outlet to reflect and improve. To reach out to people who are way smarter than me and learn from them. To ask all the questions I've always wanted to ask. Today is the first day of my new chapter. The new season of the Repeat podcast. A friend recently told me he only started coding when he was 14 years old. He thought he was way too old to learn programming as all of his friends were already great at it. Today, he is in his 30s and an amazing developer. Last Sunday, I asked myself, how do I get into Harvard in my 30s? And if it even makes sense to do an MBA when you are that old? That's when I found Wade. Wade Myers graduated in the top 5% of his class from Harvard Business School at the age of 35. He went on to raise 75 million for his startup. Wade is a former army ranger. He's a general partner of Eagle Venture Fund and managing director of Baltimore Grove Partners. Wade is the creator of the business planning apps Proforma and Sweat Equity. His personal website is wadetmyers.com. On today's episode of Repeat, Wade will share invaluable fundraising advice for entrepreneurs and tell us why he doesn't meet founders before checking the business plan. He also explains how being older with more life experience worked to his advantage when starting his Harvard MBA at the age of 33. Enjoy and listen on repeat. Wait, you're a father of five, a Gulf War veteran, a Harvard MBA Baker Scholar, an investor, serial entrepreneur. The list goes on and on. Where do we even begin? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I think I had, um, you know, starting off back on the farm as a boy, I learned the value of hard work and faith and family. So I grew up with a, um, I grew up with a Mennonite background, you know, like the plainclothes people. Uh, my family had, had come out of, come out of Europe and landed in the U S uh, and was part of that kind of Anabaptist movement. And so we grew up without indoor plumbing or electricity or uh, anything like that and just worked really hard. My parents were, were wonderful and modeled hard work. And we did, you know, anything we could to survive. It was a subsistence living, you know, kind of living off the land and just, you know, big garden, farm, animals and so forth. And uh, it was a fantastic background. Uh, my mother was especially creative in doing anything we could to try to make money and I can remember and she made clothes for us we wore you know homemade clothes that she sewed on a treadle sewing machine you know she worked with her feet because we didn't have uh, electricity right so she'd kind of pedal away and and sew our clothes and at some point Peter I think it's probably sixth grade uh, I started getting kind of fussy and was going to a, a public school and I'd gone to a little country school but that was the first year that I went to uh, the county public school and I wanted to wear store-bought clothes, and which kind of hurt my mom a little bit, kind of hurt her feelings. And she said, oh, you do? Well, you're just going to have to earn your own money. And I think it was that kind of attitude that just, uh, you know, where I struck out and started, you know, working in the sixth grade. And I had, I had sold door-to-door since nine years old, but really, uh, really started working, you know, 
um, in construction and so forth to make make my own money to kind of contribute to the family, but also to meet uh, my my wants and needs. But it was a, a wonderful background, which set me on a lifelong course. Of, like I said, kind of, you know, faith, family, hard work, and just doing whatever is necessary. You, met, you mentioned your, your mother's creativity and your mother's skills and And, and you were basically always looking for creative ways to make money. Is this something that every entrepreneur needs? Well, I think it's good training. I think, you know, so one, you know, one could ask the question, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? You know, how do you learn to be an entrepreneur? Uh, for me, all I know is that that's truly my calling. You know, coming out of the business school, I had friends that went into investment banking and, you know, other pursuits and, and, you know, and oftentimes much, much more successful, right? Because they had sort of more certain outcomes. Entrepreneurship is, it can be very uncertain, but I just, I just knew that I, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't about, you know, the money or anything. So I, I did kind of feel like that was always a calling, but growing up in that environment to where I can remember, I think uh, Peter, I was probably second grade. Yeah, second grade, and I wanted to, um, I wanted to buy a scuba mask and scuba fins and a snorkel. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so, and and I, I remember there's some boys magazine or something that had little ads in the back, you know, and uh, and so I, I I sold greeting cards door to door. And, and, and so that I could, I could buy that because we didn't have any money as a family. My, my mom encouraged me and she would take me to town from our little farm and drop me off on one end of town. And I'd work my way down Main Street to the other end of town. And I had some nice sympathy sales, you know, where uh, kindly old women would open the door and look at this poor homespun boy trying to sell greeting cards, you know, and they'd buy a box of cards just to probably, you know, uh, out of charity, right? But that set me on a course of just kind of not being afraid of, you know, asking for the order, knocking on doors, and just kind of making it up, right? Oh, you need money? Go figure it out. So I do think it's a matter for me anyway. It was, it was training very early on, and it was a calling. And it's the same thing like when I went to college. I didn't set off to go to college, Peter. I, was, uh, I drove uh, to a university town with a high school friend of mine, and I was a welder. I was working in construction, and I had no interest in college. And, and he stopped by our farm on the way. It's a long drive, six or seven hours, and said, hey, my parents were wondering if you could drive with me, kind of you know, keep me company, keep me awake on the long drive, and then we'll help you buy a bus fare back home. And then you can go back to your welding job. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So I end up in this university town. Now, my older sister happened to be going to school there. And so I, I popped by to see her. And she goes, I can't believe you're not going to go to college. She, she said, look, you can just walk over and enroll. Come on. Come on. I'll, I'll go with you. Let's just, let's just, I'll, come on, just stay, stay a little while. Just let's just enroll in a few classes. I said, I had like $20 in my pocket. I had nothing. I'm like, well, how do you just enroll in college? She goes, oh, no, you can get financial aid. You can get a job. It'll be great. You can, you can crash in my apartment. And I just, you know, looked in the want ads, got the first job I came to that I was hired for. And literally with 20 bucks in my pocket, enrolled in university. <laughs> you know, so it's just kind of, but it was one of those situations I wasn't afraid of because I'd been there before. Of just kind of making it up, rolling with the punches, you know, one day at a time. And so I think all that training was really helpful. 
So it, you, you're mentioning a, a, a training that started really early on for you. And you mentioned that you basically, it's basically an, an, an accident almost that you ended up in, in college. Um, how, how, did you, how do you see this today? Like how important is college education versus this training? And do people actually need both? And at what time do they need it? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm fond of saying um, that, I, I, so oftentimes I'll get that question, you know, especially someone that's young and is kind of looking at, do I need to go to college and spend all that money? It's very expensive, you know, especially here in the, in the U.S., right? Do I have to do that to be an entrepreneur? And my encouragement is you need to learn. So in a lot of college classes are free online, but if you have a learning attitude, um, you can just go get the skills that you need. You don't necessarily need a degree, right? Because no one really cares if an entrepreneur has a degree or not. But an entrepreneur needs to have the skills, sales skills, marketing skills, you know, human resources, operations, strategy, legal, finance, accounting. There's so many skill sets that an entrepreneur has to be able to manage. So they need to know enough about each of those areas of disciplines in order to properly manage. They don't have to be an expert in each of them. And so if they don't go to college, that's fine, but at least avail yourself to other means of learning those skills that will really suit you well as you try to start and grow a business. So at the same time that I say you don't need a degree, uh, I'll admit that I have three degrees and that uh, including an MBA from Harvard University and I'll admit that that has benefited me greatly, not so much because of what I've learned at Harvard. I mean, it was good content, to be sure, a very fine education. But the biggest benefit was the, the network and the brand. You know, because if I, when I started my entrepreneurial career and was, you know, looking for a venture firm to back me and was trying to acquire my first company or two or three, right, it came in really handy. It added a lot of credibility, right? Yeah. And so I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I've got way more education than I probably need in terms of three degrees, um, but it's, it has been a huge benefit. So it's been a real blessing. I was, I was very honored to be accepted there and to go there. And I don't regret it at all. It's one of the best decisions I made uh, because of the benefit. Not, and again, not so much the learning benefit, more the branding, the networking, and the credibility. But the what, education what, was good. I'm not, I'm not putting yeah. the education down, Peter. You know, it's just that it's, you, you can learn those same, mm -hmm. you can read, you can buy the same cases, you know, that I paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for and read them and, you know, watch discussions and, and sort of get, you know, similar learning. But what you can't get is a network with the other, you know, 1,000 students that you spent two years in an isolated campus environment, you know, you, you know what I mean? So there's, there's things you, you, you know, you get, there's a learning, but then there's the other value. Yeah, totally. What, what happened, what happened for, uh, for young weight between the time when you almost uh, went to Alaska to work a $5 an hour job where you said, <laughs> was a was a lot of money right according to you what what did what happened like from that time until you decided to actually go and get a Harvard degree well so as i mentioned uh i was actually packing my little pickup to drive to alaska to to for the welding job when my friend interrupted me and uh gave me a ride down to the where the university was so that got me started and i i stuck now, I, w I was ready to quit. I didn't like it. I came home uh, on a holiday 
and just told my mother I wasn't going back. Now, my mother was eighth grade educated, you know, like elementary school. And, uh, but she valued education. Now, she was a Mennonite girl. So, you know, that's all you, you kind of got, right? And, uh, and what I didn't know is that she called one of my favorite high school teachers and told him Wade's planning on dropping out of college. And then, and then all she said to me is, oh, uh, your high school teacher, Mr. Van Erden, would like you to stop in and see him if you go uptown during the holiday, right, from our little farm. And she didn't tell me that she had talked to him. So I swung by his house and he goes, what's this I hear about you wanting to drop out, right? And, uh, and so between my sister encouraging me to enroll uh, when I was visiting in, in August or September and my mother and a high school teacher, um, I ended up staying and graduating. Now, part of, and I worked full time, lots of different jobs during college to put myself through. So again, just making it up, I had no money, right? So I washed dishes in, in exchange for meals. I programmed computers, I, you know, put on dances, just whatever I could, you know, did a whole bunch of things. Uh, one of the things I did is I joined ROTC, Reserve Officers Training Corps, like a military officer training. And they paid a little bit of money. And I loved it. It's $100 a month, which back then, Peter, was a, a lot, that was a lot of cabbage, right? Yeah. And so that was helpful. But also, I, I, I wanted to serve. I wanted an adventure. I, I shouldn't say that more. I sought adventure more than I did seeking uh, than I did wanting to serve my country. I, I don't want to you know, come across like I'm some, some great guy, right? It was more I wanted adventure. I wanted to see the world. And so anyway, so I joined ROTC. So right after college, then I went on active duty and was an officer in the army and then got lots of adventure, went through lots of training. And also because I was used to doing a lot of things simultaneously, I enrolled in a graduate program and then got a graduate degree in computer information systems while I was uh, an active duty army officer. That was my second degree. How did that, uh, how did that go together? Like, well, it's one of those deals where it was, a um, the whole entire time I was in the army, I took classes evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm. So I just was dedicated to, you know, two or three nights a week and all day on Saturday, uh, you know, and, that's just what it took. But again, I was used to kind of, you know, juggling many balls at the same time. And so it just seemed normal to me to go, Oh, this is easy. I've only got two things to do, <laughs> you know, instead of holding down five jobs. Right. Uh, but it was fun. And I did learn and it was, it was good that exposed me to technology. So for a kid that grew up without technology, you know, all of a sudden it's like, Oh wow, computers, you know, technology. So that was good. And then I went into the corporate world. And so, I was recruited out of the military to work for a Fortune 500 company in sales and marketing and stayed there for several years uh, and worked my way up the ranks. And then when the Gulf War broke out in 91, uh, I was recalled to active duty and went over to Iraq and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and fought in the Gulf War. And, that, and that, that's when it occurred to me, Peter, that's when I said, you know, what am I doing working for a huge company? And, it, and I was kind of out of place because I was trying to be creative and why do we do it this way and why don't we do that, you know? And I remember I'd have, uh, you know, bosses and bosses, bosses say, just sell what we make, you know, don't, don't try to think too much, you know? And I was kind of always sort of slapped down a little bit from trying to be creative and trying to be strategic and trying to be entrepreneurial, right? So here I was kind of a wanting to be an entrepreneur, but stuck, you know, in a Fortune 500 environment, right? And so in the Gulf War, it, you know, you're too young to remember, I'm sure, but that was only like a short war. 
And so, but I was over there for several months after the war was over. And I was an Arab liaison officer and kind of helping clean up the battlefield and clean up damage and doing damage assessment, you know, and just kind of stuck in country. So no, no, no bullets were flying, no bombs were being launched at us anymore. Lots of time to think, Peter, you know? And that's what I thought, you know, I don't want to be a Fortune 500. I don't want to be like stuck in a cubicle. I don't want to be a cog in a, a huge machine. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to get back to what my true calling is. And I didn't know really like what to do or how to do that. I just knew that I wanted to start a business or acquire a business or do something like that. Right. And so, and I knew that I also didn't have a lot of skills uh, because my master's was computer information systems. It wasn't really, you know, like about general management, you know, strategy and sales and marketing and finance and stuff like that, right? And my undergrad, I really didn't pay much attention because I was working so much. I kind of only went to class to take exams. I figured that, oh, it's just, you know, borrow, you know, get some, copy someone's notes and, and memorize the notes and go in and sit down and take the exam, right? And so that allowed me to work more you know, to, uh, to pay the tuition. And I thought, I'm just going to get the degree. I, I guess I just, I'll just kind of game this thing. Right. And so I, I really felt a bit sheepish that I really didn't have an education at all in business, finance, strategy, all those things that I thought I would need. So as soon as I got back from the Gulf War, having kind of thought through that and, and being and so forth, uh, I then left that fortune 500 company and went back to get my MBA. Now, the funny thing is, Peter, if you're tracking the years there, I was 33 when I showed up at Harvard. So I was kind of like Uncle Wade, right? Older than the average bear. Most, most of the students were kind of 25, 26, maybe 27 or 28. Here I am at 33. And you know, a lot of them were kind of go, you're uh, kind of old to be here, aren't you? And I would say, oh, I came from much further behind right? And so, so I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. Just thrilled, right? And, uh, and it kind of looked at me. And Peter, I had so much fun because, you know, I was, I, I was more mature, had more life experience, right? But uh, also kind of snarky. So, you know, the first couple of weeks, everyone asked the same two questions. Where'd you work before school? Right. And they're trying to size you up. Like, hey, was your was your job as big as my job? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also asked, where'd you go to college? In other words, do I have a nicer, you know, a degree than you do? And so I always had fun with that because uh, I went to North Dakota State University. And when I was a student in North Dakota, there was only two universities. There was University of North Dakota and North Dakota State. So two universities, the entire state, right? It's a small rural state. And so I'd say, oh, I went to one of the top two schools in North Dakota they kind of look at me and I'd say, there's only two schools, right? And, and then and they'd kind of go like, where are you coming from? Who is this guy? And then, of course, it'd say, what'd you do before school? And I told them, honestly, uh, I sold trash bags, which I did. I worked for Mobile Chemical. Uh, so it was a, cor- a division of Mobile Corporation. And, you know, hefty trash bags, plastic trash bags was one of the products that, that I sold. And so I, I said, I sold trash bags. They go, no, no, really? Like, no, what'd you do? Yeah, I, I, I sold trash bags. And then it'd be like, you know, they didn't know what to do with that. Because I, I, I wasn't playing the game of trying to, you know, sort of uh, make myself look better than they were. But I was intimidated for sure. They all were. They all, so many of them had an Ivy League undergrad. 
or a really you know well-known school. I just had I just was unknown, right? And so many of them had big jobs. You know, they'd worked on Wall Street. They'd worked for, you know, really high-end consulting firms. And I just kind of had dirt under my fingernails, you know, you know, from the farm and from working for a subsidiary of an oil company, right, selling trash bags. And so it was, uh, it was an interesting experience, but I, I, I loved it. At what point did you, uh, wait, did you decide to go on that journey to, you are, you are 33, you're thinking about schools and you're thinking about, I mean, why do you even thinking about, think about an MBA at this point? Oh yeah, it was to it was to address my my uh, sense that I needed more skills to be successful as an entrepreneur, because I realized that with a big organization, everything's easy. There's resources for everything. There's someone to call for everything, right? And so if I was going to be the leader of a of a startup and it's all on me, I just knew that I I didn't have those skills. So that's why I went there, and then and then I landed at a, a big consulting firm. And I just did that for temporarily. I thought I just I just go to Boston Consulting Group temporarily to uh, extend my network and raise capital. And as soon as I have someone that backs me, then I'll go buy a company or start a company. So that's exactly what I did. Day one, uh, and when I landed in in Dallas, Texas, with the Boston Consulting Group, I, I opened up my computer and started writing my business plan. And it took about 18 months uh, of working at BCG before I, I had an investor and a plan that kind of came together. And then as soon as it did, I left BCG and launched out as an entrepreneur. And um, it, I mean, this sounds very strategic now. I mean, have you, have you always thought that strategically about your career and about what you want to do next? No, no, I was pretty pathetic, actually, Peter. <laughs> I think that's why, you know, I'm showing up at Harvard Business School at 33 as opposed to, let's say, 25, right? I was well behind the curve trying to catch up. Uh, but uh, I, I took a, a, there was a strategy class uh, first year at the, at the business school. I loved it. And I discovered that I was at, rather good at it. And it was kind of a discovery moment to go, wow, I, I like I like business strategy. Now, I'd always loved, you know, playing chess and, and strategy-based games, but I didn't realize that business strategy could be so much fun. And so that's when I decided that, well, if I'm going to land someplace in a job temporarily while I try to raise capital, I'd love to be doing strategy consulting. And, of course, BCG is one of the best strategy consulting firms in the world you know, Boston Consulting Group. So I went there and then I loved it. Oh my goodness. I had wonderful assignments. Everybody was so smart and it was just strategy all day long, you know, long, long, hard days, but I just loved it. It was such good preparation for being an entrepreneur. And it really, and I discovered a number of things It became part of my core entrepreneurial, you know, toolkit uh, because I learned that if I combine business process redesign with technology and with it to combine to come up with a uniquely better value proposition and you know all of those kinds of things i started piecing together the framework of literally every single startup i've done even though they've been in different industries and quite different from each other my approach to what i did was exactly the same and what i honed while at boston consulting and would you say that um that it helped you actually to start with university a little bit later or as, uh, in your 30s? 
Well, no, I mean, maybe. What I would say is that I really enjoyed Harvard Business School because I felt no pressure. I mean, I really felt bad for a lot of the 25 and 26 years old, you know, the, the younger students. They were so anxious. They, they so badly wanted to do well. And, mm -hmm. uh, and really, had, and many of them, you know, if you're on Wall Street or if you're at a top consulting firm, it's up or out, right? After two years, maybe program or consultant program it's like no you have to leave go to business school and then uh so you're kind of forced out and so then you apply to these top business schools you hope to get into one of them right and then you you want to do really well and then you want to go back to wall street again or go back to consulting or what have you right so it's it's very very competitive for them for me it's kind of like i was a diversity uh admit i look so different than those kids that i'm sure the admissions group just thought who is this guy let's just you know maybe it's charitable let, let them in you know like the old ladies that bought my greeting cards it's probably just charity right but uh but when i got there i was so grateful to be there peter and so excited to be there like golly you know i'm at harvard and uh and i remember calling my mother the mennonite telling her that i was i was going to go to harvard to get a master's she goes well i've heard of that college i've heard of that one and uh and i said and then she goes but honey don't you already have a couple of other college degrees? Why do you want another one? You know, it's like, um, it's kind of hard to explain, mom, but I think it's important, you know, uh, but it's kind of funny. But I, I was just so thrilled to be there. I didn't feel any pressure. So I think being older helped with that additional life experience, just saying, hey, I, we're all going to graduate. You know, I'm not going to worry. Um, and, uh, and I had more experiences that I could speak about in class so I could contribute to the discussion more so than some of the younger students that hadn't had as many experiences. So for example, many of them had only been individual contributors. What I mean by that is they'd only been an analyst for two years on Wall Street, or they'd only been a consultant for three years with a consulting firm. Uh, you know, they hadn't ever led anybody. They had never made any big decisions. They started out fetching coffee and donuts, you know, on the trading floor, that kind of thing, right? And so that's what I would call an individual contributor. They hadn't yet managed people. They hadn't led people. And so at that point in my career, man, I, I'd led troops into battle. You know, I, I'd led all kinds of people. I'd been a national executive at a $2 billion division of, of, of a Fortune 500 company. So uh, I had a lot more experience, which helped me make better comments in class because it's a Socratic method of learning. It's all class discussion, right? And half your grade is on the quality of your class discussion, the comments that you make. The other half is the final exam, which is an analysis of a case study. So consequently, I did very well because I just had so much experience to draw upon. It's not that I was smarter than any of those other students. It's just that I just had a lot more material to fall back on and, and examples to bring up at the appropriate time. So that was helpful. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody because it just kind of, you just, you, you just sort of feel out of place. It, yeah. There was many times I just kind of sort of felt like um, I, was, I, I was out of place. Um, but it's okay. I, again, I joke that I came from further behind. I was just happy to be there, uh, happy to have done okay there. <laughs> and then uh, got a good job with a good consulting firm and, again, had the credibility to get the financing and finally become an entrepreneur at 37. So two years of school, right? I graduated at 35, a couple years at BCG. And at 37, finally, you know, I had a, a backer and I bought two companies, merged them together and became an entrepreneur. And then, now you would think, Peter, at that point, you would think, 
that I would do well, given all that experience and given that wonderful education in three degrees, right? Oh, no, no, you, you would well. be wrong. <laughs> I, so now, like for the first time, I'm, a, I'm in a brand new environment. I've never done anything like that before. And it was hard. And I was learning so much. Oh, my goodness. And the, the, the best part of it was my backer was a venture capitalist that had invested in like something like a hundred other entrepreneurs. And he was so smart and so experienced and so patient that not only was he my investor, but he was my mentor. And he would say, wait, call me anytime you're struggling with a decision. Call me anytime you need my input. I'm here for you. And he taught me how to be an entrepreneur. And how did you find this person? And how did you know that it, it was such a great fit? So, so Peter, this is like, this is the grace of God thing, right? Okay, right. so <laughs> I, I, I like to keep in touch with people. You know, I keep in touch with old friends, um, you know, friends from high school, way back in my little rural, you know, community where I grew up, uh, friends in college, et cetera. So this was one of those things where I was, I kept in touch with one of my college friends. And, uh, and I, you know, and I sent him my little acquisition plan. Hey, here's what I'm planning on doing. You know, I'm kind of having fun because he would always say, what are you up to? You know, and, uh, and that, I, I wasn't really thinking anything more than that. Well, he, his older brother had also gone to Harvard for his MBA, like 20 years ahead of me. Right. And his older brother was a venture capitalist. And so without even telling me, He sent, he sent or, you know, or emailed my resume to his older brother and said, oh, remember my best friend from college? You know, hey, here's what he's up to. And he's, you know, he's looking to acquire a company. And then so, and I think like a full year went by. And again, I didn't know he had done that. And then one day he calls me. I'm on the road driving a rental car in Washington, D.C. area, driving down the Baltimore, Washington, you know, turnpike. And he calls my cell phone. He goes, hey, wait. You, uh, you, you still want to acquire a company and be a CEO? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, my brother, Tony, you know, the, the venture capitalist, because he had like nine brothers. Uh, he goes, um, yeah, he's, he's got a company he wants to acquire. And, and he remembered seeing your resume and that that was something you might want to do as a CEO. So do you want to talk to him? I'm I, so like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. You know? And so that's what happened. It was like an old friend from you know, years earlier and, uh, and just kind of a fluke, you know, I never asked him like, why'd you send that resume to your brother or, you know? Uh, and so there you go. And so why one thing led to another. Yeah. You just never yeah. know where we were. Yeah. Amazing. No, what, what, no, I mean, just asking myself now, why did, it, why did it take a year to, to call you? <laughs> yeah. He just, his older brother had like an ironclad memory and he would remember every resume he ever saw anybody he ever, you know, kind of came across. Yeah. And he was like, he'd be like that with me. Would be like a board meeting. And he'd say something like, um, oh, you need help with that? Oh, um, hey, you know, let me see. There's a guy I know. And then, he'd, you know, I'd call his secretary and say, who's that one guy? And he, he kept every single resume wow. that he ever received. His secretary ha would have them cataloged. And uh, it's not that, you know, so, and then, and she'd run into his office and go, yeah. And then I eventually I joined his firm and worked with him for a while between, um, you know, different startups. Right. And I'd see how he'd operate. Right. And his secretary, Sandy, literally kept a copy of everything. And he'd say wow. stuff like, you know, I can imagine what he said about me. There's just the, the guy that uh, my, 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 my younger brother, Ted's friend from NDSU. Uh, he's that 
Boston Consulting Group or some or McKinsey or someplace or Bain, someplace like I think in Texas somewhere. That guy, remember that guy, Sandy? Find his resume, right? <laughs> and it's, it's that kind of thing, you know. And so yeah, like totally a fluke. Um, I got that call. I was so thrilled, Peter. And so I started flying back and forth uh, doing due diligence, and we ended up buying two companies. And then we ended up actually building seven different companies together over seven years. It was a blast. That's a that's an incredible story. I'm I'm just wondering, you know, hearing this and hearing that leap of faith and that he reached out to you at the exact right time. Um, <laughs> what do you what do you advise an entrepreneur who needs capital and he's running and talking to a hundred VCs and trying to pitch them and trying to get get funding? Right? Is that a valid approach? Is it just that somebody some people need to go that that path? Or what is your advice on that? Oh, so, you know, I've got a tremendous respect for entrepreneurs that build a business from scratch without external financing. Uh, very hard to do. It can be done. There are various, there, there's, there are a lot of business models that you can start that don't require a lot of capital. Hmm. I've written a, a Quora post on that that's actually fairly popular, lots of readers. Uh, but, in, but in most cases, businesses do require capital. And so, and that does mean that an entrepreneur has to be pretty good at raising capital. And one thing I, I can honestly say is that it's extremely hard, no matter what. Now, people might think with my education and my background and my network that it's easy for me. No, it's not. It's always, always extremely hard. Uh, but you just have to keep at it. So, so my biggest advice to an entrepreneur is, Only approach investors that are a really good fit with what you're trying to do. So now I'm a partner in a venture capital firm now, right? So now I'm you know, kind of shoes on the other foot, right? So I get lots of people bringing me plans and making, bringing me ideas. And, uh, and it's frustrating when they haven't gone to our website to even read what we invest in and where we invest and the kind of industries we invest in and what we look for. Now, every venture capital firm clearly has on their website, you know, we invest, you know, in seed stage deals, or we invest in series A, or we invest in growth equity. They'll tell you the stage. They'll tell you the check size. You know, we usually invest between one and $5 million, you know, whatever it is, right? They'll, 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 they'll describe all of that. Like on our website at Eagle Venture Fund, we'll say stuff like, you know, I personally only invest in fintech, software as a service and mobile apps that's it right and so it's very it's very clear and i only invest in the dallas fort worth area i have so many opportunities and so many investments i don't need to be flying back and forth to new york or seattle or europe for that matter right now we have an office in europe we have an office in, in zurich with two partners there mm -hmm. but i mean it's just like we don't i don't need to do that so i, I describe what i do very very tightly But yet, I'll get business plans from all over the world, you know, and I feel bad because I know that I've, I've raised a lot of money many times as an entrepreneur. I know it's hard, so I'm, I'm always filled with empathy, but I'll get really excited guys like from India, for example, um, that, you know, maybe read some of my posts on Quora or came across me on LinkedIn, super excited. Hey, here's my plan. I'd love to have you invest. It's like, no, I'm sorry. I don't invest you know, outside of my hometown. Now, Dallas-Fort Worth is one of the largest metroplexes in the U.S. Mm. There's just, there's just, you know, tons of opportunities here. And I know that as an investor, I'm much more effective 
if I can help shepherd that investment and guide and mentor that entrepreneur, just like my first investor mentored me. And oh, by the way, he made me move to him. I moved oh, wow. across the country. Yeah, yeah, because he said, no, you need to be here, right? And I'm the, I'm the same way. I, I want to I be nearby. I want to look him in the eye. I want to help them. I want to be there for them, right? It's just a much more effective leverage of my capital. Uh, so the advice is really understand who you're reaching out to. Do your research on them. Understand what stage they invest in, what kind of business models they invest in, what locations they invest in. All of that is on their website. As an entrepreneur, please don't waste the venture capitalist time. It'll just tick them off. And, 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 and it, when you do pitch them, even if it's not a fit, they will, uh, they will often offer to introduce you to someone else. But just if they really like you, but they just but you're just your plan or your idea isn't the fit for them, right? But realize that that referral isn't worth much if they're not investing, right? So if I call you, Peter, and say, "Oh, this is a great guy. He's right there in Austria. Super guy. You yeah. should you should meet with him." And then it's a natural for you to say, "Well, wait, are you investing?" Oh no, 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 not a fit for me at all, Peter. And yeah. it's like, well, that, that was that wasn't much of a referral. However, if I call you, and say, "Peter, I'm in." In fact, I'm in big time. I believe in this guy. I'm so thrilled. I know it's a fit for you. Please join me in our investment syndicate. That's way different. Because then you sort of say, oh, so you've already, you've already vetted the deal, Wade? You, you've already met with this guy? And I go, yeah, I spent a ton of time with him. Great guy. And now you're basically relying on my diligence. So here's the hard part about funding and raising venture funds. It's very, very difficult. But once you get that one investor that's in, then they will often bring others with them. You know, there's a phrase, you know what an angel investor is, right? It's a wealthy individual invests in startups. Well, there's a phrase that says angels flock together, and they really do. Uh, my, very, my first startup that I raised a whole bunch of money for <clears throat> outside of um, my one investor, uh, it was a, I, I raised $75 million, And so the first uh, couple of rounds were from angels. And I can point back to like three people that brought all the angels in, literally three people, uh, and what they brought friends, and then their friends brought friends, and their friends brought friends, right? And so uh, once, you, once you hit it with someone and, and they're in, then you want to go deep on those relationships. Who else do you know? And, and kind of work that. And, and, then, and then you can start to build momentum. But it is hard, uh, but there's a couple of tips there. So three people brought in a total of $75 million in investment. Well, I would say this, Peter, all of it, uh, every single connection, I actually went through this exercise when I was writing a case study about it. Every single connection went back to only three people. Wow. Here's an example. Here's an example. One of my friends from business school uh, had worked at Goldman Sachs on Wall Street as, as a trader. And then he left Goldman Sachs and was a, a hedge fund trader, right? So he invested. Uh, he called, he, he had a bunch of his hedge fund buddies and called a meeting at his office and they all invested, right? And then, and they, a lot of them had been at Goldman Sachs. So they all told their friends at Goldman Sachs, hey, we met this guy. Said, no, this is during the dot-com days. It was crazy days, crazy days, right? You got to remember that. Everyone just threw money at you. But but uh, the next morning, my, I say to my friend's house, right? And the next morning he goes, oh, you need to, uh, when you're going downtown to Manhattan, go over to Goldman Sachs, go up to the such and such floor, the trading floor. There's a couple guys that want to meet you. 
And so they had heard about uh, the, the business and me from this hedge fund meeting at my friend's office. So I, I go up to the floor, elevators open up, there's three guys standing there. There's, they're just like, they handed me checks. Each, each of them just handed me checks, right? And then, and then one of them said, now don't cut me back. Make sure I get it all in. Okay, okay. He goes, oh, by the way, do you want to meet your venture group? Meet your venture group? Oh, sure. How long are you in town for? Oh, well, I, uh, I don't leave till tomorrow. Oh, let me give him a call. And so then right after them handing me checks as angel investors, then the next thing I know, I'm across town in a different office and I'm meeting with their venture group. And like a week or two later, their venture group invested uh, in that particular round, 25 million. So, so I, I ended up having like 12 Goldman Sachs partners invest, about 10 hedge fund partners invest, and Goldman Sachs' venture group invested all from one friend, my best friend from business school. That's kind of how it worked. So that's why the connections that you made in Harvard are so important. And that's uh, like a big part of what you mentioned about network in, in business school, right? Well, yeah, that, that helped. But what I'm describing is uh, just that one guy led me to so many other guys. No, totally. and, and where they worked led me to their own institutional venture fund which moved me completely up market to institutional money, not just angel money. But that's an example of, I ended up raising a total of 75 million. It all started with just three guys and their connections. And then their connections led to other connections and so forth. And what was that company about? Oh, it was a big data company before big data was uh, a term. And so it was very, very, I was too early, Peter, too early. That company did not do that well. Um, okay. It was a very early software as a service play. It was one of the very first uh, SaaS uh, software companies and one of the very first big data companies. So we combined big data with the SaaS model uh, way, way too early. We spent way too much money on infrastructure because you couldn't just go to Amazon Web Services and spin that up. You know, that just didn't exist. You had to build data centers from the ground up. So we had this, we invested an enormous amount in infrastructure. And, and then the dot-com bust came and that we kind of got caught in that downdraft. We got the company profitable and got it sold, uh, but it was a bruising experience. So I was just way too early. It's, it's a painful lesson. Don't be too mm. early, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we ended up raising a lot of money. So now, now wait that you are an investor and you spent all this time looking at young entrepreneurs, you get pitch decks, you look through, how do you structure, how do you structure your days and how do you decide on what, when to look twice at a, at, at somebody? Oh, very good. Yeah. Good question. And probably the last question we have time for, um, the, um, uh, I, I put in place a very rigorous process because Peter, I know my weakness. My weakness is I tend to like everybody I meet. And uh, I tend to make decisions emotionally like we all do. Like, Peter, great guy, great guy. Yeah, I think I'll invest in Peter. You know, it's really easy to just sort of make a decision emotionally because you sort of like somebody, you know, they came and pitched you, right? So what, I try to, what I've done is instead I've, I've put in place um, a very rigorous process. The first one is that I've got a, a strategic business plan evaluation uh, app that I built. Uh, there, there's 50 things they have to go through, you know, and, uh, and 50 questions and there's, you know, answers and so forth and it scores their business idea. So the first thing I do is like, 
I don't want to really get to know them. I don't want to fall in love with them. I don't want to get excited about great guy, great gal. I'm sure they'll do well. Great team. You know, you always hear that. I'm investing in the team. They'll figure it out. I, I kind of go, okay, it sounds interesting, but I, I'd like you to do this first. Go through this process, and that will give me a sense for the strategic value and the strategic nature of your idea. And I tell them, though, I tell them, look, this is exactly what the process is. If you pass that, and many people won't, but if you pass that, then I have a very detailed financial model uh, app, again, a software app that I built, uh, that I want you to go through that. And then uh, because I built the app, I understand that it's going to tell me all I need to know about now that I think you're going to be strategically successful, I want to know if you're financially going to be successful, but also it'll tell me how much money you, your plan needs. And it will sort of reveal to me how you're thinking about your business and your business model, your pricing and so forth, right? I, I'll learn a lot about the entrepreneur and how sharp they are when I see their detailed financial model. And then I say, now, if you pass that, then I really want to get to know you and your team. But only then, right? I don't want to be all excited about great team until I know that it's great strategy and great financial prospects. And then, and then we do the diligence on the team. And then we invest. So we describe that. Hey, here's the, here's the process. And uh, if you don't make it all the way through, that's okay. Our goal is to bless you with a lot of things to think about. So we always promise entrepreneurs, if you go through our process, you will learn a ton. And we promise that you'll almost always, you know, uh, make a lot of changes to your thinking, your business plan, uh, based on what you went through with us. So it's almost like we serve them well while diligencing the deal. And then uh, if they make it all the way through, then we invest. So that you basically build your own filter, but you're also training the entrepreneurs mm -hmm. on the process and really make them think yes. about their business. Yep, that's correct. Can I, that's correct. Can, can I ask you one last question? Wait, you seem, yes, you, I, seem yeah. you, you seem extremely likable. You said you like everybody. You are, you know, we are all smiley. We've never met before. And I, I read about you that uh, somebody once told you that, wait, nobody likes you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what okay, is the story so, behind that? Yeah. So, you know, coming out of the Army, uh, I, I'd been an Army Ranger, commanded a special weapons team and had all kinds of training and, uh, you know, got up super early, you know, 4 a.m. and hard charger. And I tended to kind of command people rather than lead people. So in the military, it's And the other thing is that I was only in combat arms, and back then there were no women. It's all just men. You know, mm. or, or your orders at the men, and then you know, they'd jump to and salute you, and you know, and you just kind of got used to that style of sort of ordering people around, right? So now all of a sudden I'm in a civilian world, and, uh, and I'm working with men and women, and they're civilians. I don't have, you know, authority over them. And many of them are my peers, right? Where you have to kind of learn to get along with your peers and influence your peers. And so I really didn't have any training on um, that kind of civilian influential leadership, right? And so, and, and I, I still kind of was kind of, and I always walked at a really fast pace. And kind of like, and people would kind of see me, they'd see me kind of like marching around, right? It looked like I was always on fire and in a hurry. And because I was always in a hurry, I tended to rush around, you know, tell somebody to do something and then leave, 
and then before they even had a chance to say okay and i and i i would dispense with the niceties like i wouldn't say hey peter how you doing hey how's the wife and kids hey you know, that daughter of yours is she still in the ballet so how'd that go you know and no 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 it would just be like hey peter i need this right now uh can you get to me today good and I'd leave, right? And and so yeah, so I had this lady kind of sit me down and go, um, can I just give you some advice? And what what was really nice about that is I had just been promoted. It had been announced that I was uh, being moved to New York to the uh, the global headquarters, and uh, <clears throat> that um, you know I was going to be a, a national level executive. And so uh, actually, it was one of the best things she could have done for me. And she said, I just thought, you know, before you moved to New York and, you know, you, you, before you got on this role of, of leading this entire division, um, I, I thought you'd like some feedback. <laughs> and it was, it was, I needed that feedback, Peter. <laughs> yeah, same, same, same right. thing. Sometimes it comes at the right time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got to jump on another call. Peter, it's been a, a delight to have the time with you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Wade. Thanks for joining and enjoy the rest of your day. If this episode brought you any value, please click subscribe and follow my journey on repeat.fm. Repeat, repeat, repeat. repeat.